Well, hello. I'm Lainey, also known as Electro Girl, and I'm an advocate for empowering people to get back in the driver's seat of their diagnosis. See, I was diagnosed with epilepsy 30 years ago and basically was never satisfied with hearing from a doctor that pharmaceuticals would be the only approach to controlling my seizures. I just wasn't going to take it. Out of my way, mortal. So I committed many, many years to researching and finding an answer outside of the Western medicine approach to find a more holistic approach in managing and treating my epilepsy and the seizures. The Love Your Diagnosis podcast is a show about exactly that. Each week, we will be looking into the life of someone who has been diagnosed with a condition or illness and has succeeded in managing their diagnosis both in and outside of Western medicine. Basically, what put them back in the driver's seat of their diagnosis. So hang around with me while we explore living in and outside the medical square when it comes to loving your diagnosis. So today's amazing person in the world with epilepsy, he's called Adeptus Psychonautica on all of his channels on socials. His name's Rob, but what struck me about Rob was that, yes, he lives and manages and treats his epilepsy in a certain way that works for him and has done so for many, many years. But Rob, Adeptus Psychonautica, also makes videos for YouTube based around the topic of psychedelics and plant medicines. Now that intrigued me to interview him because I have always been led to believe that people with epilepsy either, as myths would have it, are amazing shamans and do get shown other worlds with a seizure. That's why they used to be stabbed and burnt at the stake because they were thought to be medicine people. Or you get told with epilepsy you should stay away from all that stuff because it could induce seizures. And, and facilitators of this, these psychedelic and these ceremony based journeys are very few and far between that will take someone with epilepsy on but Rob stood out to me because he has defied all that and he has had many psychedelic experiences living with epilepsy and I wanted to find out how the fuck that all works so this is an incredible interview with an incredible man who knows no limits when it comes to his consciousness I hope you enjoy it as much as I did I'm just going to, I'm launching straight into it because it's midnight when you are. So, you know, you've, you've had enough time to sort of warm up your brain and your neural pathways for a chat. So, <laughs> and so you've got epilepsy. This, I'm doing this series um, just on people, like magnificent people with epilepsy that are navigating the world because we both know how fucking challenging it can be for lack of better words. So I want to just find out how old were you when you first started getting things that in your brain that you just thought oh this is not normal yeah so for me it all happened like within a night i had no idea um i had epilepsy it, it just wasn't on my radar as far as i knew it wasn't in my family history <laughs> revealed itself in the most spectacular way you know i was quite quite a tall kid so i was getting able to get into like sort of nightclubs and stuff fairly early and I think I was out I was like about 17 or something like that and in hindsight this was like the perfect storm of all my triggers just happening at once but I was young 
completely entranced by being in these ex, you know, this very kind of, you know, stress-filled, not obviously it wasn't stressful for me, but you could see, you know, all the activities going on there, all this sensory overloads going on, strobe lights just banging away, just lights flashing away, music pounding. And I just thought it was amazing. I just wanted to be like right there in the middle of the dance floor. I was always up all night. So again, this is just all the things that would I've since discovered would set me off. And yeah, it got to about sort of like three, four in the morning. And I just, after a night of just pounding sort of, yeah, lights and sort of recreational drug use. And then I woke up in a hospital. There was a few things that happened before I woke up in the hospital. I remember I, I was there and then I was like there and, and the frames in between were missing. I remember having thought that's interesting. I, I had I realized that because of where I was appearing, I'd staggered. I was kind of ended up on different planes of elevation. And then yeah, and then I just woke up in the hospital and that's as much as I knew about it other than I was in extraordinary pain from just the complete muscle pain and bone pains. I dislocated my shoulder, my right shoulder, um, somewhere in the process. Oh, good effort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I don't mess around with these things. But the kind of the, the other kind of thing of what was going on here, this was in the middle of, of the, sorry, very early sort of like 1990s. So this was when the sort of like dance music scene was exploding in the UK. And we, there'd just been a couple of high profile deaths from people uh, connected to ecstasy. So this kid collapses in the middle of a dance floor completely you know having a seizure they all thought i was dying from ecstasy because that was like the the big sort of you know enemy at the time it was all over the news ecstasy kills kids and there's me so my friends were just freaked out apparently as soon as i went down the nightclub just start screaming and people running out the fire exits and stuff like that because everyone knows the police are going to come and the ambulance are going to come and so i've just wiped out this entire club i've got no idea in this my friends all think i'm dying that's pretty epic to wipe out a whole nightclub with one seizure that's very powerful oh yeah (laughs) very powerful You've woken up and, you know, because I know from myself, when you wake up from a seizure and, you, and you're just somewhere where you're not familiar with, it can be quite freaky. Do you, do you remember, like, being a bit freaked out or were you quite calm? Well, the, the, the first time it was almost, or at least how I remember it, it was kind of more like um, coming to from, from anesthesia. I was, I was like, I was a little confused and stuff, but it wasn't the same as as it was later, at least I don't remember it the same. What would happen sort of later on is that as I would sort of come round, however kind of me and my wife have referred to it, is, is um, it's like a rebooted the operating system and bits of me are coming back online, starting with my sort of infant self. In sort of later seizures, I'll, I'll do stuff like saying, you know, I'll, you know I want my mum, like, where's my gran? Like, you know, can, you know, can I go to bed now? And, and she, my wife will say that it's like caring for a child and then I'll step up through sort of adolescence and I'll, I'll get to a point where it's kind of, it's, it's me again and then I start remembering, all oh, right, I'm here now. That's an amazing way to look at it because when people have seen me come out of it, they're like, the, the, we've, ne- we nev- we've never seen you this, this innocent, that innocence that, that happens to, to someone when they come out of a seizure. Although I've seen a, people come out of a seizure angry as fuck as well. Right. That's an interesting concept but for me it's always it's always been like that and to, to a point where like um if you've ever seen kids in the supermarket sort of just when they're just utterly confused and you know that, 
I, like my wife will say, like sometimes I'll just like burst out crying. But but it's but it's this, like it's this very innocent childlike someone like it's you know just this kind of utter I don't know what to do with myself, and it, so like very out of you know out of character. But it it really does feel to me like it, I can feel my almost like my personality, my, my identity come back online in chunks. Uh, yeah, and it's such a weird feeling because I, I, I remember it like really distinctly and, it, and it's gotten me in some really strange situations where I've had to I've had to sort of explain my way out of or kind of like you know come up with some kind of embarrassing reason as to why it's happened and I'll give you an example one, one of these was uh, I was on retreat so I was in in the Amazon and I had this was before I drank any ayahuasca or any psychedelics or anything like that. But it was just because of the jet lag of just getting out there. I was just so overtired that I had a, a decision on the first night, and I hadn't had the chance to sort of tell anybody yet at this point. And. I saw. I had the seizure. There's just all this screaming and moaning. The people in the next room are just completely freaked because these are like kind of like wooden sheds. The walls are, you know, the sound just travels straight through the walls. So they, they would, had no idea what was going on. And then, as again, I had this kind of personality reboot. And the first, I, I always get some kind of really simple notion in my head at this point. And it's like, you know, I want some sweeties or I want this. And this, I remember, is like I need, I need to go for a piss. But I had no idea where I was. I'm in some treehouse in the middle of, of, of the Amazon. And so I'm, I, the bathrooms are about 100 metres away. You have to walk down all these gangways and stuff. Realise it's my first night. I've got no idea which is my room. I just walked into the nearest bedroom and assumed that's my own. So I walked into this hut. Of course, I, it, it's the hut with three women in it. That are like, so there's me. All I've got on is my boxer shorts. So I'm stumbling around. Um, you know, I've just I just walk into this hut and like I'm I'm clearly trying to get into like a bed, and like they're, just, they're like, what are you doing? And I just turned around and walked out, and that that was kind of that. In the morning, I was like, I realised like shit, how am I going to explain this? Like I don't want to. I was just so embarrassed. I kind of I, I made up some bullshit that I, I sleepwalk. But you'd had a seizure, but did no one pick that up? Yeah, they didn't know. They didn't know what it was. Yeah, so oh, Rob, fuck, that's no, my no. fucking biggest nightmare. Yeah, mine too. I mean, I've this was this was many many years ago now, and I've just kind of I've since realised how just how, how stupid I was, how, how naive not to make sure that everybody's sort of informed of all these things, particularly when I'm somewhere like the Amazon, where you saw cut off. Uh, and this, I was traveling alone and stuff at this point. So now that was one of the things that kind of made me think, dude, right, you need to get your head in check. And so now this is where I went and got myself one of these bracelets. So I have, I have instructions on it. I've got, I always, whenever I'm traveling to other countries, I always have letters in the local language that I can give to people and say, hey, if anything happens, just don't worry, it'll pass. You know, just do, do this, do this and this. Here's my emergency contact. So I, I really, in a way, it sort of gave me the kick up the ass to make sure I've got all these things in effect because the 30 odd years before that I was I, I think I really had my head in the sand about a lot of this stuff I just I didn't want to face it sure well let me take you back then okay. so you're back in hospital they'd run all the tests and did you get diagnosed back then straight after you had that because usually it takes two seizures for them to say you've got epilepsy yeah well, well, well first of all I wasn't having any of this I, I, I knew I was kind of like 
pushing myself. I, I, I mean, I was doing some stuff like that. I was like stirring right into lights and stuff. I was really trying to, you know, because you do this when you're a kid. You're like, you want to get right next to the speakers and blow your ears out. And then you, you, you've got no consideration. You're going to have tinnitus when you're 40. I just wasn't prepared to admit there was anything wrong. And so I just would go out every weekend. And at first, it wasn't every weekend that I would have a seizure, but it got to that point and it became basically became a feature of the night that Rob's going to have a seizure and someone's going to have to go to the hospital with him and I had just I had just no real consideration for how this was impacting my friends uh, for what this was doing to me did nobody try and intervene you know were your parents in the scene you know or, or good mates so my parents went real in the scene I, I left home uh, quite early so I'd, I left home around but yeah when I was at like 18 and didn't really have much contact with my parents after that my friends I don't know I, I was I was very headstrong so I don't think they to even say that it was epilepsy I think it was just not on the table it was just I don't know it, it was just this was the thing that it, it happens to Rob uh, fine and it wasn't until my girlfriend at the time and it was just one of the, you know sometimes you get those more those kind of statements in life that just completely cut through your bullshit and uh she just said to me like you you cannot go on like this you need to see a doctor and i was and i, I remember i was like so like mm-hmm, doctor and um and i just kind of i kind of realized at this point my right shoulder was just completely destroyed. It, it got to a point where I, I was dislocating my shoulder so much that the slightest bit of movement, like pulling a T-shirt over my head, would dislocate my shoulder. So my shoulder was just ruined. Um, and, and I could pop it in and out back in like a, like a guy with a lethal weapon or something. I was, but I was, I was just really taking damage. I've got sort of scars all like down my face where, I've just, where I'd like fallen out of bed and banged my head onto like, onto like my guitars and stuff like that, sliced my head open, you know. So it, it was just getting ridiculous and she just put me in my place. So I must have been 20 or something like that. So I'd, I'd had like a good couple of years of just ignoring it before I had to sort of like face up to it. Wow, that period between denial and when you have to face up to it, it's a very scary thing because you know something's going to be life-changing and that's what both of us were avoiding. So they've come back with the diagnosis. You've gone to see, had all the tests, like all the tests. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so where did they, do they know where in your brain it comes from? Um, if they did tell me that I I, I don't, I wasn't paying particular attention at the time. I was, it was more of a, you know, they gave me the diagnosis and they told me they were going to start me on some pills. And, and that was pretty much that. So it was a case like, you know, see with these work, come back and we'll, 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 we'll look at the dosages. Were you relieved when they said? I think I was still kind of somewhat in kind of like denial. I don't remember being particularly relieved. I remember having this sort of thought of, okay, so they told me I can't do all these things like which I want to do. What can I do to, to kind of game this thing? Like, how can I get around it? Like, I, I guess I, w- I was just kind of, the idea that, this, that there was possibly something that might work to alleviate it was, I, I was up for that because, uh, yeah, I was doing, just done a lot of damage to myself at that point. So I was like, fine, give me the pills. And did your initial treatment work or did you have to keep, were you a bit of a guinea pig for a while? A bit of a guinea pig, yeah. There was a lot of sort of messing around with, with, with dosages, which... I understand it's kind of like is normal. You're just trying to work it with sort of body weight. It was Epilim was was the first one I was on. Um, Epilim Chrono 500. But it, or it seemed to work fine for a good while, and then I think it was it was probably my like sort of late twenties 
where it wasn't working so good anymore. And I just kind of lived with it. And I kind of accepted that it was, you know, things were just going to get quirkier. You know, it was going to get worse as I got older. Even when I was on Epilin and taking it regularly, that was when, like, I would, so what I kind of referred to, like, brain zaps would, would, like, just be happening during the day. And that kind of, the, the, the strobe-like reframing of, like, I'm over here, well, well now I'm over here, what, what happened in the middle? I would start getting that during the day, and, and that freaked me out. And it was there, but I think I was I was I went in, back into that denial thing. And I was, this is where I would start having to moderate my behaviour, my day-to-day behaviour. And a, a lot of that would be I would have to grab hold of things um, just to sort of align myself to, just to have a point of reference um you know i would sort of deliberately sort of walk like always be close to walls in case i need just like to stop put my back against something and just slump against the wall and and i got away with that for a, for a while and then it just got to a point where there was a, there was a few scary occasions and this was probably like you no know, going to my sort of early 30s where yeah i was just having seizures just out of nowhere with like out, with what felt like no warning signs and that was scary and yeah, yeah. and because uh, that, that seemed like this was a new thing now and were you driving at this stage yeah i was driving probably through yeah 20s yeah i mean pretty much all, all, all through my 20s i kind of get it that you know yourself and you know this but i mean a lot of people would say that's really friggin' dangerous, but I know myself. But when it comes to the point where, yeah, you're having them out of nowhere, that's when you just go, fuck, I better. Yeah, that's never actually happened for me. I always know. So your triggers changed as you got older. It, it went from like the late night partying, up, no sleep, all that sort of stuff, drugs, alcohol, whatever. I, mean, I would say the no sleep thing is, is pretty consistent and it's just it's just the shape in which that no sleep comes. So, you know, when I was a kid, it was coming from staying up all night. Um, as I got into sovereign old life, it might be because, you know, you're staying up later each night. I mean, you're not partying, but you're staying up later, you know, staying until one o'clock in the morning, binge watching TV or playing video games or whatever. And you're just doing that for five nights in a run. And so before, you know, you've lost an entire night's sleep and then on one night you're just overtired and then or the next day it would happen. So it's seemingly coming from nowhere, but it was probably my own behaviour that was causing it. It just wasn't as obvious as the have a big party, pay for it the next day kind of situation. And then, you know, just something like, you know, you grow up, you get the stresses of adult life and stuff like that, you know, the, you know, career, kids, blah, blah, blah. All, so there's this kind of new stresses, especially kids, you know what I mean? They keep you awake <laughs> all, all night anyway. So, Have you been on medicine ever since you were first diagnosed or have you had bouts where you've looked into how you can modify and manage yourself to the extent where you're not taking as much medicine but you've got lifestyle changes? Yeah, yeah. I, tr- I tried it a couple of times. My logic here was, oh, well, it's not working anyway. Um, I figured I've got nothing to lose um, if, if I'll, I'll just start taking my, my pills. And again, this I think I did this first when I was on Epilim and I just stopped taking them. And I'm, I think I moderated it pretty well but in hindsight i don't think i could do that again today i was doing a lot to try and sort of keep myself not in the danger zone sort of thing and i was still getting a lot of these kind of like these these brains that just things that would make it like a just very unbearable to like you know going to bed that sort of that moment when you're sort of halfway between sleep and halfway you know 
between wakefulness. I, I hated that. It, it always reminded me of something like the Nightmare on Elm Street films, you know, where the sort of kids are sort of like are terrified of falling asleep. And so they kind of keep themselves in that limbo state. But that's when Freddy gets them, you know, that's when he, he, the portals open. That's how I felt. And, and you've got these zaps going on in your brain and this, this feeling of terror and dread because you know you're on the cusp of, of, of this awful experience. And um, yeah, I don't know how I lived like that for, for so many years. After that first break and after I went back on, it never really felt like the epilim was fully helping me as much as it did when I was sort of late teens, early 20s. Did your neurologist keep on top of you or did or is that something else you rebelled against? You just went, yeah, it's broken, but I don't want to fix it. I, I rebelled against it, yeah. I'm terrible with doctors. I'm terrible with... Uh, I'm terrible with hairdressers, <laughs> even, never mind doctors. I just, I'm like, just just fuck off. I just thought, and, yeah. And uh, and that was my kind of mentality, again, like, through, through till about, uh, yeah, I don't know, about eight years ago, something like that. And what happened then was I, I moved them from the UK to where I live now in Switzerland. So we had this big, stressful relocation. And... It should have been, you know, it was, it was like something we were looking forward to. It was like a new start for us. And I got to Switzerland and it just ramped up to like a million. I was just collapsing all over the place. We would go out shopping in Zurich. I was just on the floor. I was thinking, oh, what am I going to do? How am I going to explain this to people I work with? I've just taken this job. You know, it's like, oh, my, all this stuff coming through my head. And then as part of the job I'd taken on, um, it involved like a bit of traveling to other countries and um, going working away for a few nights. So I was spending a lot of time in airports. And what I've since come to appreciate, which I'd, I'd never really noticed before, is just how shiny and reflective airports are and like the just light bouncing off. Like the floors are so polished and the lights are just bouncing everywhere. And I was in Germany, it was. I was coming back from a, from a trip and... I was walking through the airport and I just, I just noticed the lights were dazzling and I just kind of staggered against the wall. And I just realised there is something wrong. This is, this is a bad moment. Simple. I have got no idea how to communicate with these people. Like, I, I don't even know how to tell them what is wrong with me. And Is that because you couldn't get the words out or because the warnings... You were just too overwhelmed. Both. Well, first of all, I couldn't get the words out. Secondly, I didn't speak the language, right? <laughs> so it's like if I'd been in England, I would have struggled to explain what was going on. The fact that I was in, in another country on my own, and it, I just felt like I was being like electrocuted almost from every side. I just like there was nowhere for me to go and hide in this airport. And I just, it was just, there's just people, you know, it's like an airport, just people are just streaming past you. Nobody gives a, a shit. Everyone's just trying to get to a plane. And I just, I, I don't think I've ever felt despair and hopelessness like that in my life. I just thought, I'm going to die here. That was the kind of thing that gave me the next wake up call. Where I was like, okay, you need to get back to the neurologist, dude. And see what's going on. Yay. And that was like fucking what, 30 years later. Amazing. You got balls of steel. I think your balls should be like, like, I don't know, like <laughs> gold plated and then put up on your wall because fuck. I don't know. I, I, do you know what? this back, I feel absolutely stupid saying <laughs> it because it's, it's just so, it's like, yeah, I could have saved myself so much damage and so much hassle if I just yeah got out my, got out my own way. Oh, dude, that's my mantra as well. That's a, a beautiful segue into the next section because my background is 
plant medicine and I've worked with herbs. Well, just to finish that little statement, you went to the neurologist and he got you sorted. Is that is that an assumption? Yeah, so basically he changed the medication from Epilim to Capra. I mean, first of all, I was extremely nervous about doing that because I didn't necessarily want to be guinea-pigging new medicines in a, again, in a strange country where I wasn't completely comfortable with the health system and stuff like that. But anyway, I got over it. And since then, it's actually, yeah, I'm, I was like, Jesus, if I could have had this earlier, this would have saved me so much hassle. Well, honestly, I'm, I've, I'm kind of pretty much, um, like, it's like seizure free at the moment, which is just Ooh. incredibly refreshing because I thought I was fucked. <laughs> so, and you, you got your shoulder still, so that's fucking good, isn't it? Yeah, so I had, I had to have, uh, like, yeah, surgery done on my shoulder and all sorts. <laughs> it, it's amazing. Like, there's so many different you know, epilepsy stories, but the main, the main thing that draws us all together for quite a few of us that are kind of deny it and whatever is that you're on a mission to try and be normal in inverted commas, whereas you're not so, and you and I, I ran away from my brain for so long, but I'm going to segue into that because I, for a very long time, wanted to get off the meds and look into alternative treatments for it. Yeah. I was just so anti-pharma Still am to an extent, but, you know, support it on other levels. So I joined that herbal world and, and looked into psychedelic. But there was still this fear in me about being on medicine, being off medicine. What's my brain going to do if I'm in a state where, like, so I always used to take drugs, particularly psychedelics and other drugs, still trying to be in control. Yeah. So I would take doses where I would still be in control just in case something happens, because like you said, you had, you know, you didn't, you didn't think about what, how that affected the people around you when you were just fucking out there. And every weekend it was just like, Rob's going to go to the hospital. So I kind of have always maintained for, you know, decades, this element of control, which I hate, 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 because I would love to just kind of cut loose, but there's always this fear in the background, but you Rob and your work, so your work, um, you've got a channel called Adeptus Psychonautica and, you know, you make videos on the topic of psychedelics and plant medicine and how that affects. I was always told that you can't do that if you're taking pharmaceuticals. But then when I came across you, that all got shattered and watching your work and going, mm -hmm. well, fuck, he's got epilepsy and he takes medicine and he goes on all these journeys to try and deepen his, you know, world how the fuck does that work so i'm just gonna put the ball in your court now to explain it just took basically just just talking to certain uh talking to different kind of uh, you know talking about from the the ayahuasca world which is with these retreats that i go on in, in south america and just having a dialogue with the people who work in those centers and some of them outright refused they weren't comfortable with having somebody with epilepsy in one of their retreats they didn't feel like they could cope with it and i'm i'm grateful to them for being honest up front because you know i'd rather that they say that rather than take my money and then be unable to deal with me so they they were kind of honest and said no we we're not comfortable with, with dealing with it and i like i said I was, I was like totally understand fair enough but I talked to a few centers and I found one place where they, they said, yeah, you know, they were, they were, they were fine to sort of uh, to deal with me. Um, and they were extremely welcoming. And I was extremely nervous about, oh, what happens if, you know, we're in one of these ceremonies and, and, and it, you know, I start having this seizure. 
And they were like, well, don't worry about it. What we'll do is we'll, 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 we'll you know, come and sit with you. We'll, we'll sit around you. You know, you can come and be over it over here where you're not, you know, disturbing the, the other guests too much. And it's fine. And we'll deal with it. And just hearing them say that, it kind of like meant, you know, because you kind of ex- you kind of expect people to say, oh, 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 you know, but just you know, like, like, dude, it's all right. You, you'll you do what you're gonna do, and. Anyway, luckily, that's, it's never happened that anything like that's come up in ceremony. And like you mentioned, there's a lot of these places where they will tell you uh, you absolutely cannot take any sort of you know pharmaceutical thing because it'll there's some kind of energetic collision with the medicines, so you cannot do it. And there's just this kind of like blanket taboo on anything pharmaceutical. The places that I, I found were a, a lot more kind of uh, open to it. They had sort of uh, sort of medical stuff involved. They had a dialogue with my neurologist. I, I, I thought I was kind of open with, with you know my neurologist said, "Look, I'm planning on doing this. Is there any you know I've heard there can be some there can be some medical interactions with with some of these substances." I gave him whatever literature I could find. He was like, "No, I think this is fine." I talked to the, uh, the guys, the medical staff at the centre. They were saying, I, "I think it's fine." I said, "You know, I can." give you put you in contact with a neurologist and, and so there i don't know actually whether they even had a dialogue together but there, you know there was some information that was uh, shared and they said yeah we, we, it's fine there's not there's nothing here that contraindicates with this substance so you're fine wow and that's kepra is it uh, yeah that was kepra yeah. oh cool all right well that's good to know because that's what i'm on your neurologist sounds fantastic because mine are very conservative in australia very conservative approach to things that's incredible that you can be that honest with your neurologist. But it also shows, Rob, that you're not afraid of maybe, I don't know, t- to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're not afraid of dying. Um, I'm not particular anymore. I mean, that's not to say I want to die, but I, 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 what I found was that part of, when, you know, when I talk about this kind of t- dark time when I moved to Switzerland, what was happening there was a, a lot of my kind of fears of dying were just compounding. So I was having this like weird mix of panic attacks, which would then, and my panic attacks would get so serious that I was, my panic attacks were because I was afraid of dying and distress and blah, 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 widows, orphans, blah, blah, blah. And that would then sort of end up in a seizure. And, it, and, the, and then it was just this snowball of my world is fucked. Um, yeah, because I was, I'd had some of these psychedelic experiences, it just resolved this fear of death that I had. So yeah, it, almost like sort of overnight, and so that really brought down the stress um, around the, the sort of the, the seizures. I don't want to, you know, say like I'm, I'm particularly um, blasé about death, but I've just kind of the point where I got with it is like whatever life I have, I'm not going to have it dominated by whatever amount of years I've got. I've, I've got to live it, otherwise, you know. And, kind of so be it and, I, and I'm, I live it to take care of myself I'm you know I'm not taking the sort of risks that I used to take anymore but yeah I'm not going to sit and cower under my duvet cover like it just you know because my brain's out to kill me sort of thing you do this channel how many followers do you have on your various channels now it's, it's about twenty eight thousand, I think at the moment wow you're, you could be at the Grammys next year <laughs> I, hope, I hope not you people get slapped there <laughs> 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 but what I like about it is that you're you're a bit of a skeptic of the new age stuff, so you just do it through just an Englishman's eyes, and people are responding to that really well because there's no bullshit, there's no fluff, and you, your descriptions are really down to earth. And what I also love about what you do is that you're not 
you're not fucking pedestaling the experiences. You're also talking about how full on they can be and it's not this enlightening thing for everyone that happens and so that's so important. Well, I mean, there's a lot of bullshit out there and there's a lot of stuff out there which I think gives false expectations around these things and, you know, you, you see all these kind of, all these articles and stuff in like, in magazines or on like, you know, on the internet of like, yeah, you know, whatever your problems, you have like one cup of ayahuasca and it's, and all that goes away and it's, my experience is that's not the case. It's just like, there's a lot of hard work. There's a lot of, some of these experiences can be so difficult. You can be talking like, like, you know, nights of feeling like you're in absolute hell, like physical hell. It's, I, I kind of view it as like, it's a, like going to the gym. It's like a no pain, no gain situation. So I'm, I'm happy to face those demons. I mean, I've got plenty of demons, you know, as well as all the kind of, all the epilepsy stuff going on. And so I'm, I'm yeah, you sometimes you know you need to face that down. It's not going to be all sort of you know roses and sparkles and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, I, I try and sort of report on what I go through just as, as honestly as possible. Do your followers know about the epilepsy side of things, or you just don't even you don't even identify that as something that you know you're not Rob with epilepsy on these channels? You're just adeptus psychonautica having these experiences. Yeah, but I I, I I talk about the epilepsy when it's as it crops up. So you know, like people will often ask me like things like, well, you know, have you ever tried this substance or tried that substance? And and there are some things I just won't try because I know that they will interact with my epilepsy. And so I, you know, I, I I give those answers honestly. So I, I don't. What are they, Rob? Uh, the, the main one is is one called iboga, uh, 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 a medicine that comes from from Africa, and I'm super curious about it. I've heard you know very interesting things about it. But one of the sort of potential effects of iboga is that it can keep you awake for three days. Um, so it can like the, the experience can last like seventy two hours. That's a no go for me. Um, so yeah, I, I, you know whatever ideas I, I would have about going to Africa and sort of having any kind of ceremony there it's just it's just not possible you've grown up yeah yeah another one that that's got some possibilities uh of of interaction is uh is a bufo ovarius the sort of like the 5-meo dmt toad the infamous toad medicine um it has a sort of a even in people who don't have epilepsy it can trigger seizures so yeah that again is, is kind of one that would be a I, I, although I, I have done it previously, since I learned that, I'm, I've decided I, I wouldn't do it again. Um, I, I don't brand my channel as, as sort of like Rob with epilepsy, but I do. I'm, I'm, I try and be completely open and honest about every aspect of my life, and, and epilepsy is part of my life. And you know, I talk around like when I go on retreat, how I, you know, I schedule out my like flights and stuff so that I'm always making sure I get a good night's sleep and I'm not, you know, not spending too long in airports and stuff like this. So. I'll, I'll happily talk about it. It's no, it's no secret, but it's, it's just not the kind of, you know, my main focus. Now, a couple more things before we wrap up. Do any of you, because you've got two kids, don't you? Yeah. Has it been genetically passed on that you're aware of at the moment? N- not that we're aware of. I'd, I'd, I'd have to see how, what, how, how I'd deal with that bridge, but I would, yeah, I think I'd feel incredible guilt. <laughs> it's a real thing because it's what stopped me having kids. Statistically, it's not, it doesn't happen all the time it's just but for for my experience i was like fuck that not even the slightest bit interested in passing this on yeah it it would break my heart i think but i mean that's 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 the possibility but but that's the journey one other thing you know there's a there's a stigma or a myth going around where people with epilepsy back in centuries of past used to get 
um, burnt or, you know, killed at the stake because they were thought to be medicine people. Demonic possession. Well, demonic possession, but also shamans. Oh, right. Have you heard that one? Well, I've heard of, I've heard of the, the connection between sort of shamanism and, um, and seizures. And so, I mean, this is kind of one of the things that, that crops up in a lot of these kind of shamanistic traditions is that the shaman will do something to basically in, induce a kind of like a seizure. You know, you talk, you see, talking about people like dancing, you know, for hours on end in, in the sun or doing some sort of like ritual in order to sort of like basically enter a kind of a seizure state. And, you know, I, I find that interesting that there is this kind of connection. Or, yeah, it, it's very hard for me to get my head around that there's this connection or some people see this as a connection to the divine that you are, you know, someone is paying the price that you, you are sacrificed something in order to gain this transcendent connection. Um, whereas for me, it's just... I've always just viewed it through this frame of terror and horror and something that I would avoid at all costs. So, yeah, the idea of someone deliberately doing this to themselves, which I, 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 on one hand, I think it's incredibly brave. Like someone would knowingly do that uh, to sort of like unlock this thing. When you look at epilepsy three-dimensionally, yes, it's, it's just like it's a human experience and the brain, abnormal brain activity and things like that. But in centuries past, yeah, like... People were feared with epilepsy because they were too powerful. Because because they would get messages sent to them during a seizure, and then and and you know that all that jealousy and stuff mm. like that. So, so they were killed because of it. I'd love to explore that more because you know, like you say, you went when you were first explaining your experience, you were like you just went into states in and out in and out of states you know like and that's kind of thing the whole reboot is like where do we go when we have those big tonic clonic seizures where the fuck do we go and what where does you know what and, and to to come back so childlike and innocence like i would love love to know where i go i mean i can get i can get, there's a sort of uh a kind of like new agey explanation I got for this. Or, or well, I shouldn't say new agey. It was, it was actually more of a shamanistic explanation. So I was talking to one of the shamans I was working with about this. And basically he, he said that he, th he thinks this is something he could work on, he, he could cure it. And I was, I was kind of like, no, no, this is my brain. It's just fucked. There's nothing you can do here. And he says, well, tell me about it. And I talked to him about all the things that we've talked about. This, this sort of like the childlike reset. There's something that, it, you know, it wasn't there all my life. It appeared later in life. And I told him about some of just like some of the traumatic events that happened when I was a, a kid, and basically not to be too morbid, but my mother committed suicide when I was when I was quite young. And but the way he sort of explained it, he said, "Well, what's happened is that this is you, your brain was unable to cope with this suicide, and so it's kind of like you can think of it as like a scar in your brain, and this is why when you revert to this point, because you're you're reverting to the point in your childhood when." This now I was skeptical as fuck around all this, but I was like, okay, well this this makes some kind of sense. It's, it, was, it was interesting how they put all those parts together, and particularly this like this childlikeness that I'd locked onto, and it would, you know, that starts seems to appear at this point of when this kind of this thing happened to me. So I was I was kind of fascinated by that aspect, by the, you know, you just hearing something different to. Oh, yeah, you're, you're just the unlucky one. Your brain's fucked. Take these pills. <laughs> God, that makes heaps of sense to me. Just from what I, all, all the study that I've done on it for the last 20 something, you know, years. I know, I appreciate it's late where you're at. I've really enjoyed this. I knew I would. I hope you have. Yeah, it's been nice. The last question I generally ask people is would you say that you love 
your diagnosis or you still reckon you'll be coming to terms with it for the rest of your life? Um, I don't think I could say I love my diagnosis. I think I could say I'm a lot more comfortable with it than I was before. I think, I mean, even just just from what you were were saying before about, you know, the people who who can tap into the divine, I I sort of, I I was just as you're saying, I was was wondering, is this something, if could I just accept this to such a point where I could interpret it that way? Like, could I save myself a lot of suffering if I could? I wish I could. And do you know what? Now that you've said it, I think I'm going to try and... Maybe, yeah, maybe learn to love that diagnosis and, and sort of love that part of myself a bit more. But as of right now, I think we, I, I think we're amicably cohabiting. I'd say that's where we are at the moment, as opposed to, as opposed to sort of like pretending that we're not, you know, not flatmates. <laughs> um, oh, that is gorgeous. That is so good. <laughs> oh, that's really fucking nice. Yeah, well, great. I, I, I know that I'm going to talk more with you and I hope to actually come and do... Um, a journey with you in the coming years. Awesome. And any parting words to people going through what you did? I think it, it's it's not a popular thing to say. I think within the circles that we're in, but yeah, I, I do think this is one of the, one of the situations where save yourself some suffering. It's better to have um, you know a, a, a good neurologist and, and solve. And, and deal with that diagnosis better. I don't think there's anything wrong with exploring alternative options, but and to, to get your life to a point where it's doable, explore all the options. Like, and yeah, and I think sort of pharmaceuticals in this case, I, 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 they've helped me tremendously. So I, I appreciate there's a lot of uh, bad blood around certain aspects of the pharmaceutical industry, but I, you know, I don't think I'd be here without them. I will mention, if people do want to get in touch with you, we're, we're not advocating for doing ceremonies for anyone. We're just saying the whole thing is if people want to ask you questions, you're there, right? I'm happy to, to talk about this to absolutely anybody. Um, if you go to YouTube and look for Adeptus Psychonautica, you find me there. There's, there's like a profile page here with my email address and all my sort of uh, social media profiles. So by all means, if anybody wants to ask me anything about any of this stuff, feel free. I'm happy to talk to you about it. Especially if you have epilepsy. Like it's a big thing. Rob's been doing this for ages, but just, um, you know, you've got to take all factors into consideration. This is just one experience. Amazing. Thanks, Rob. I will be definitely chatting with you uh, more. Thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Pleasure. All right. Bye. If you would like to donate to the running of this podcast and you can afford a few little bucks a month or whatever it is that you can afford to keep the show going without ads, please hit this PayPal button and if you've got a few loose coins that would really mean a lot to me and other people who are listening to this podcast and getting seeds of inspiration. Also, leave a review on Apple Podcasts because that just means more people will know about it. If you've got a story that you want to share, that you've had success with and that you've researched and found some some joy and gold in your own diagnosis, please hit me up. I'm always happy to share anyone's story. The main takeaway message in these podcasts is get second opinions, find a doctor that you really resonate with and research the shit out of what you're going on. Get back in the driver's seat of your health, everyone. You do not need to take one person's opinion about the rest of your life and how to live it. 
Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. I'm Lainey Godiva. 